You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm Lynn Galadner, a writer, entrepreneur, and change maker, and I've dedicated my life to sharing stories of how people make meaning in their work and find purpose in their lives. You just heard a great original composition by my son, Asher Schreiber. This podcast highlights some of the great ideas and activities people do every day to make the world a better place. So much of the meaning we find comes from interacting with great people, developing relationships that are mutually beneficial, and doing work that inspires. I hope you'll be inspired by the people you meet on this podcast. We all need to find a way to make meaning in the mundane. I'd like to welcome Paul Saginaw to the Make Meaning Podcast. Paul is co-founder of Zingerman's, a dedicated activist and world citizen, and one of my favorite people who has been incredibly generous with his time and advice for the past, I don't know how many years. So welcome to Make Meaning, Paul. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> I'm really honored that it's, you would take the time. It's very meaningful to me. I hope so. I do. We're going to talk about that. All right. So, you know, I'd like to hear, I know you get asked this all the time, but tell me the story of Zingerman's because this was an idea that sounded like you guys just had it casually and it's grown into such an amazing community of businesses. So I'd love to just hear sort of that story. Uh-huh. Okay, sure. So... uh you know, there's a couple stories. There's, there's one is why I ended up in food service. Uh-huh. Uh, the other one is how uh, I met my partner, Ari Weinswig, and how we came to open Zingerman's. But uh, Ari and I uh, found ourselves both on our first day uh, in a new job at a restaurant in Ann Arbor called Maud's. Oh yeah, I remember and, that. And uh, I, this was the second restaurant in what would become the uh, Main Street Ventures Group. They yep. had opened the Real Seafood Company and I had uh, been working there. Uh-huh. And then they opened Maud's and uh, I was sent down to Maud's to be a general manager. I had gotten a promotion. I was a bartender and a bar manager and a kitchen manager and uh, they sent me down there to uh, be a general manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was struggling a bit at the time. And on my first day, I met Ari, and it was his first day. And he had just recently graduated from the University of Michigan with a degree in history with a focus on uh, the Russian anarchists. and Very useful and practical well, degree, destined, right? Well, <laughs> destined for food service. Yes. And... Uh, and I grew up in Detroit and Ari grew up in Chicago and we started a conversation and we were lamenting that uh, this was the late 70s that, uh, you know, when we were coming up, every neighborhood had a delicatessen and you thought your neighborhood deli was the best. But here we were in the late 70s in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and it was a total wasteland for any kind of food like that. So on the weekend, uh, 
I would drive back into Detroit and and you know get a pound of corned beef and a and a and a rye bread and some red pelican yellow mustard and we'd have that soul food that we grew up on. <laughs> yep. And we talked, you know, we said, wow, you know, Ann Arbor could use a really good delicatessen. And uh, we also, at that time, we started to develop an interest in in really good food. Mm -hmm. Uh, Neither of us grew up in a foodie family. That term hadn't been coined yet. There was no food network. Right. Uh, And, but uh, Ari had traveled quite a bit and, you know, we are now... Uh, you know, experiencing these olive oils and and vinegars and and confections and really good bread and and really you know cheese outside of you know I where I you know I had grown up with Mrs. Paul's fish sticks and craft <laughs> macaroni and cheese and American singles you know and now we're you know really you know experiencing these really good cheeses. And so we were collecting articles and we talked about Ann Arbor could use a good delicatessen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went off uh, and with a friend, Mike Monahan, opened Monahan Seafood Market in 1979 in Carytown. Sure. And, uh, and that was going real well. And the the building that the deli's in is across the street from there. And it was Dyroff's Market. It was a little corner Mm-hmm. grocery store built in 1902 and the grocer lived upstairs with his family and uh he had uh and in, then in in 1980 he retired okay and uh and the man who was our landlord at Carytown bought the building he actually wanted to open a delicatessen wow, uh it the was stars aligned it was a little well he opened this little cafeteria and it it just sucked it was uh-huh. horrible <laughs> and uh and after about six or seven months of losing money, he closed it, and uh, and he uh, he knew that I had been managed restaurants, and I had a good relationship with him. And he came to me on a Saturday morning, a market day, uh-huh. and uh, asked if I would like to uh, open it with him, okay. reopen it with him, and and go partners with him, which I just definitely didn't want to do uh-huh. but i said i just i'd like to lease the building from you with all the equipment in it. and he was more than happy to do that because uh you know he he had, he's paying a mortgage and he'd been losing money trying to run this restaurant so he said okay so the next morning sunday i went over to ari's apartment and i uh knocked on the door and woke him up and i said uh, i found the location for us to open that delicatessen we've been talking about and so we sat down at his kitchen table and on a Smith Corona uh, electric typewriter, uh, we typed out our 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 vision. Uh-huh. We didn't know it was a vision at the time. Sure. Uh, our, our business plan, it was, I don't know, about five pages, maybe, you know, okay. 15 paragraphs. Uh, and uh, we said that we were going to gather the finest, uh, you know, foods from around the world, and we were going to have this specialty food store, and then smash down in it. We were going to have this busy, bustling sandwich shop, and these sandwiches were going to be so big that it was going to take two hands to get them up to your <laughs> mouth. And when you finally bit into them, the Russian dressing was going to roll down your forearms. And that was really very clear in our heads before we made our first sandwich. Okay. Uh, we also said that we wanted to be unique, mm-hmm. and, and for us, by definition, that meant there's only going to be one, so that if we're ever going to grow, we weren't going to do it 
uh, by replication. We sure. had we had never seen an operation that was really really good and then uh, grew by replicating itself. They it just it starts to lose the magic. It starts yeah. to lose. Uh, the specialness and, and, you know, and the energy and the excitement. That's a really interesting point. I want to just inter- interrupt you for a quick second because um, one of the really special qualities about Zingerman's is that you have all these unique individual businesses that are passion-driven and they're part of a community and they're related by certain values and beliefs, but they each provide something different. So I think that's pretty unique. I don't know of another company that's really like that. Well, uh, there certainly wasn't any model for us when we went on this, this, that, you know, part of our growth. Uh, Since then, there's, there's, uh, there's businesses out there that have certainly come to us and, you know, wanted to talk about, uh, you know, want us to share our experience with them, which we're we're happy to do. But yeah, uh, it's you know we're currently ten separate businesses plus a shared service uh, uh, business, and uh, they are all different. Uh, and we, about ten years into it, we wanted we felt the need for growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have, if you were working for us and you wanted to grow professionally or financially, there, there wasn't a lot of room. We were all young back then. Sure. Uh, it was a nice place to work. There, there was very, almost no turnover at the leadership level. And so, you, you know, you had to wait for somebody to die or move away. <laughs> uh, and so we were going to lose you, we'll lose you to our competition after we trained you really well how to compete with us. And we wanted to provide, so we wanted to provide, you know, room for professional and financial growth. We wanted wanted the people that work for us to be able to afford to live in the community, to raise families, to have a good life. And all of that required uh, dynamic growth. And so uh, how are we going to stay true to this vision of, of one delicatessen, but grow the organization. And we decided that uh, we like being owners. So we yeah. were going to offer, you know, provide the opportunity to for ownership in the brand to uh, folks that work for us. So if you were entrepreneurial and you were passionate about a product or service and you were going to operate according to our principles, then we would finance that with you and we would partner with you and uh, share the brand and we would be uh uh, suppliers and and customers of each other. Sure, uh, and uh, and and that's what we did. So you know, right now there's uh, there's two co-founding partners, yeah. uh, Ari and and myself. There's 17 managing partners. Wow, uh, they all started as regular employees. Wow, and they are they're owners. Uh, and uh, they they it's their they they built a business with from their vision. Sure, uh, we were mentored by you. Yes, yeah. So they really learned. Well, we weren't going to go around and like I wouldn't go and say, "Hey, Lynn, uh, you know, charcuterie's getting really, really big right now, and you're kind of handy in the kitchen. So we want to get into, you know, the cured meat business and you know making sausages. So you know, do you want to do that with us? That's not what we no. wanted you to come forward and say. You know, I am. I want to do this and I'd love to do it with you guys, but I'm so passionate about it. If you don't want to do it, I'll be gone in a year doing it on my own, but I'd like to do it with you. We wanted that level. Sure. So, uh, 
Yeah, so the growth was driven by the people that that work for us. So it sounds like you're saying, um, you know, if you do what you love, you're going to be successful, that everybody has that passion driving them. But I know there's been a lot of thought in developing those corporate values. And so I wonder, you know, is there advice you would give people listening who – who want to venture out and do something or create something from scratch? Is there sort of like a you know rule of thumb or the three tips you'd give them? Well, I I would certainly say that 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 you start with what we would call a vision. There's a lot of definitions for that, but uh, for us, uh, a vision is a written definition of what success looks like for you. Okay. So at some point in the future. So if it's three years, five years, 15 years, and you are on a magic carpet floating above your business, looking down at it, what, what, what are all the things, what are all the activities, what is everything going on that would indicate to you that, that you've been successful? Uh, and, and, you know, we ask that you try to very, very clearly describe that. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and for us, the, and the, the vision is, is not the strategy. The vision is what you're going to do and why you want to do it. Uh-huh. Uh, the strategy of how you're going to do it comes later. Okay. Uh, I think that a lot of organizations, uh, there's, there can be a lot of, uh, disagreement among the leadership, and they think they're they're arguing about strategy, mm-hmm. but really it, they're arguing because they they don't have a shared vision. Ah, you know. So if you and I start a business together, and uh, in five years from now you envision it being a two million dollar business, and I envision it being a twenty million dollar business, it's not that you're right and I'm wrong or vice versa. It's just those are two very, very different businesses. Sure. And what we're going to do tomorrow morning in order to get there it's five years from now is going to be very, very different. Yeah. And when you have a shared vision and you're locked in on that, then you can have uh, a lot of uh, wonderful dialogue and arguing about the best way to get there. Sure. But, but you know that you're both trying to get to the same place. So my advice would be to, you know, to, to come up with a vision uh, because uh, it and it, it it doesn't only tell you what you're going to do, mm-hmm. but it tells you uh, it infers what you're not going to do. Sure. Because, you know, when you go out and you start something and you start to uh, experience some success, a lot of opportunities come. Sure. And so the the vision is a really marvelous filter or sieve to push that opportunity through. So you can quickly go, well, is this something that's going to help us quickly in a straight line get to the vision that, that we've defined the success that we want? If the answer is yes, then you go, okay, let's commit some organizational resources to it. Sure. Uh, if, if the answer is no, like it's, you know, it's exciting. There's, there's a lot of adrenaline. There's a lot of energy. There's money attached to it. It's sexy. Uh, but it's getting us in a different direction. You want to have the discipline to say, thank you for this opportunity. We're very flattered, but that's not who we are. And that's not what we're going to do in organizations that stay on that straight course and are, have the discipline to say no to those opportunities are organizations that have a much better opportunity, a chance to be successful. Absolutely. So I would say, uh, you know, have, have a vision yep. of what you want to do. And, and, and then also, 
uh, be very, very clear on the type of culture that you want. Okay. What type of organization do you want? Uh, you know, what is the personality of that organization? How are you going to behave with each other, with your customers, with your suppliers, with, with the, with your, the outside world? Uh, and, uh, you can describe that culture. You can, you can have a written set of guiding principles. Uh, and they're, they're very powerful. They're going to attract the type of people to your organization that you want. Sure. Uh, and they, and if they're well written and they're, uh, and they're, you use them and you refer to them when you make decisions, then, uh, it's, it's the same as if you are, uh, you're standing in front of your entire company and you're saying, I promise you uh-huh. that this will be the reality within this organization without exception. Yeah. And if you keep that promise, then you're going to, you can have the greatest asset that any employer could have. You're going to have the trust of the people that work for you. And if you have their trust, you can be extraordinary sure. and, and you can accomplish great things and you can have an enormous amount of joy doing it. Uh, if you if you don't keep that promise, you squander that capital, you lose that trust. You'd be like every other middling organization up and, and down the block, and build internal chaos in the in the same way. Yeah, every every organization has a culture yeah. uh, undirected. Just, it is not going to emerge in the way that you would yeah. like it to. I guarantee you, for sure. You know, we've spent all this time talking about Zingerman's, which is of course a huge um, respected brand that every I think everybody knows about. But really, the reason that I wanted to interview you on this podcast more than anything is because of the example and the inspiration that I see in how you live your everyday life, which I know is part of Zingerman's because that, you know, has been driven by you and your passion and your beliefs, but also um, the way that you're committed to your community, to making a difference, to making change so that we have equality and equity across the board. And I know it's important to you to be of service. Um, I know you've been committed at Zingerman's to being devoted to Washtenaw County, and I think you have have personally as well, but I'd like to talk a little bit about um, some of the more, I guess, community-focused or activist um, steps that you've taken throughout your life. I think you were one of the founding partners of Food Gatherers. Am I right? I founded Food Gatherers. Okay, yes. yes. So I was right about that. So, But other things, like the way you're advocating for equity in the restaurant industry, um, can you talk a little bit about your passions for, for making change and making a difference? Uh, wow. Uh, well, I, it's, I, I, it's who I am. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's hard to consistently behave in a way that is incongruent with how you see yourself. So it's certainly, uh, uh, part of what makes me, me. Where does it come from? How did it come from? I guess would be the question. I, I, I believe a lot of it came from my my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, Ben Sherman, uh, a, a native Detroiter, who was just this amazing human being. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had the good fortune to be able to spend a lot of time with him growing up. And, and it, you know, uh, during some of my formative years working for him, he had a small business in Detroit. But he he just was uh this amazing person he he would t- tell me that half of what you 
own belongs to those who need it. Hmm. Or if you're successful, make your friends successful. I love that. Uh, he also said, don't shit on the rungs as you climb the ladder of success because <laughs> they're the same ones you're going to come down on. <laughs> I love that. But uh, he just, he was this this generous person and, and I, and he was always joyful. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, you know, connecting the dots was, uh, generosity leads to joy, and uh, and it was he just he lived his life that way, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and and I wanted to be like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, you know, he was also he gambled and and he was kind to everybody. Uh, you know, I think I learned later in life than I would have liked to, that it's uh, more important to be kind than right. Uh-huh. But it's a great, uh, great line. But I, I don't know, you know, I don't know if it's selfish to be generous because it makes you feel better. I know scientifically uh, the act of giving, the act of being of service releases a, you know, a hormone in your in your brain that they, you know, it's like when you're running, they call it the runner's high. Okay. Uh, it's and it's also infectious and and it gets people going. But sure. when when Ari and I uh, first were opening uh, the deli, uh, and my grandfather, uh, you know, came in. I got this marvelous picture of him holding our first menu. But oh, that's great! You know, he he uh, he said this something to me, and he I know he. I'm pretty sure he was quoting. He was very well read, and uh, and he, you know, was full of wonderful quotes. But he said that that real success in business is uh, is like the success that is uh, realized by the inventor or or the statesman and. Uh, and, and and that the joy of business is like their joy, uh, not in the the vulgar pursuit of capital or uh, the exercise of power or the frivolous pursuit of just winning. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and that he taught me that that business is a tool and it could be used for good, or it could be used for greed. Yeah, and that uh, you can you can affect real change, positive change. Uh, you, you know, with a business that's that's pushed correctly. Yeah. So uh, it was important for us that, you know, I didn't buy into tr- traditional conservative economic theory a la Milton Freeman, you know, that the business of business is business. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're no, you know, we're no longer a, a you know, a country of, of merchants and farmers and business or business organizations have enormous impact on the communities in which they trade. And so for better or for worse. Yeah. And yeah, for better or for worse. Exactly. Right. So I believe that you earn your right to conduct business by being a, you know, a, a, a good corporate citizen and you, you know, you pick a site responsibly you build responsibly you you know you hire a workforce responsibly you you generate a responsible profit and you share that profit responsibly with with your staff and with the community that you draw those profits from and so giving back was not something that we were going to do once we became successful giving back was part of the cost of doing business so just like paying rent insurance utilities 
uh, giving back. And we were going to, that was a line item on our profit and loss statement. And we were going to do it from the time we started. I love that. I love that. Well, I think we're running out of time, but I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart because not only for being here today, but, um, you know, when I interviewed you for whatever magazine it was a million years ago, um, you then very generously have responded every time I've badgered you and asked for advice and asked to meet for coffee and, and who am I, you know, and you just were really generous with your time and friendship and it has improved my life a lot and I'm incredibly grateful and I hope in some small way I'm in, impacting you and will forever be indebted to you for your generosity of heart and knowledge and, and just friendship. So, um, thank you for making the world better and for, for being so open and accept, accepting. It's really wonderful. Well, thank you for your kind words. So, uh, I, I will be coming for the ask one day. You got you, it. You, you, you know, you talked me into believing that maybe I had something to say. And, oh, you do. And, and that, uh, you know, and that maybe there's a book there somewhere and, 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 you're gonna now. You're gonna be stuck helping me do that. I can't wait. All Absolutely, right. and yes, I'm gonna help you promote it too. So we're gonna get it out there wide and far. So, Paul Saginaw, thank you so much for being part of the Make Meaning podcast and for setting such a great example for all of us. So thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me here. Yeah.